0: Things, 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 things. podcast. Hey, Phantom Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop. Culture Dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and it is currently two forty eight AM on Thursday morning. I have had a pretty full day and am feeling pretty good right now. I've got to work all weekend. Not super stoked about that, but I am on days, so that is better than going back and being on nights all weekend. Uh, and I'm I'm feeling pretty good right now. I've I've had a a couple of Rumsky beverages, and and uh, San Diego Comic Con is already in full swing. I've seen some cool Wednesday night previews. I'm not going to get into that right now, though, because next week and the week after probably will be our San Diego Comic-Con recap episodes. What I'm going to talk about today is Atlanta Comic-Con, which happened this past weekend, and uh, where myself, Chad J. Schonk, Ryan Cadaver, and Nicole Gould Cadaver conducted the Summer of the Bat panel. And if you listen to the show, you know I've been putting this thing over for a while now. And i got to say... It went beautifully. Uh, I don't know that I have ever been quite as satisfied with a panel as I was with how the Summer of the Bat went down, and that is this week's episode of the Needless Things podcast. So once we get past this intro, you are going to hear the Summer of the Bat live from atlanta comic-con but before we get to that i want to talk a little bit about atlanta comic-con because uh, i believe it's only two years old i think this is only the second year of the atlanta comic-con and i did not get to go last year pardon me for another little sip of my rum beverage to keep my energy going it's important to get all those uh rum vitamins and minerals into your system uh to keep you energetic and going strong all night long uh so anyway uh atlanta comic-con i didn't know anything about it Uh, i know there is another uh, atlanta comic-con that takes place in the marriott century center uh, just inside the perimeter. That's a cool one-day show that's very, very local, and it, it is a very much a comic book show. You go, and if you want to buy comics, it, it's a cool place to go. It's in one room there, and uh, it's a cool one-day show. But this is a whole different thing. I would say it's somewhat more akin to Wizard World, except that... Whoever puts this thing on, and I believe it's Imaginarium Entertainment is the name of the company, uh, I, I am blown away by the setup, by the variety of, of uh, people there. I, I really just can't say enough good things. Look, it's not, it's not Dragon Con, it's not San, San Diego Comic Con, but it was a really, really cool show. Uh, I took the family down there Friday, not knowing what to expect, but just knowing I I was off Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I wanted to have some family time. Like anything like this, when it's possible, I want to bring Mrs. Troublemaker and Phantom Jr. and have fun and just, you know, check it out as a family. So Friday, uh, I got up as early as I could. I I was working overnights, so I ended up, I, I got up at about 11. And, uh, you know, got ready, got everything together, got the family together, loaded everybody in the car, and headed down there. And on Friday, just, we, we had the best time. This was at the Georgia World Congress Center. And, uh, uh, you know, went down, and I had already, I had pre-purchased my admission because uh, how, it, how it worked... I don't know if this is something I should share or not, but since you're phantom maniacs and we're all family here, I'll go ahead and tell you uh, one of the cool things about Atlanta Comic-Con is I, I submitted my idea for a panel to them months ago just on the off chance that they would let me do a panel. Uh, I, I want to, I, you know, I still, last year was supposed to be the big push to get Needless Things into a bunch of different conventions, and it, it just, it didn't happen uh i i don't know uh i don't have the connections to get my foot in the door uh at at things like awesome con and and emerald semi emerald city comic-con and things like that so i you know i sent out uh applications and panel ideas and everything else and i i got in you know generally more often than not just got no response whatsoever Uh, So with Atlanta Comic Con, uh, I thought, what the hell, I'm off that weekend, uh, which is a big factor, because if I'm not off, I have to actually use my paid time off, which I have a limited amount of, to go to these conventions, which is why uh, I missed... Lanta, which I love dearly you know last year I missed Toy Lanta because we went to Universal Studios this year I, I missed it because I was working uh same thing with Days of the Dead this year I was working that weekend I just couldn't do it uh but if I'm off I absolutely want to go to your convention so Atlanta Comic Con I was off and my thinking was well I'll go no matter what because I want to check it out but I you know why not try to do a panel there why not Uh, worst case scenario is they say no like next worst case scenario is I go I do the panel nobody shows up for it but we've still recorded an hour of content for the show like that's always my my frame of mind uh, when I'm applying to do panels is even if nobody knows or cares about needless things if nobody shows up for the panel uh, we still will have recorded an hour of content great and we will have had you know some kind of presence that i can refer to in the future at a convention uh so they approved my panel and along with that they said well you you since you're providing entertainment here uh we're going to give you three one-day passes for atlanta comic-con which is fantastic because other places that I work, my my favorite place in the world to work, as a matter of fact, doesn't do anything like that. Uh, you basically feel lucky to be on panels and stuff, and it's just part of your your week. You know that's that's how it is. They they do not give you any compensation for providing entertainment, uh, but Atlanta Comic Con did. But I had three panelists and myself. So what I did is I went ahead and bought myself a weekend pass and saved those three one day passes for my panelists because look I I've talked about this time and time again on the show time is the most valuable thing in the world uh, we will be making we will be working to make money the rest of our lives uh, time you never get back and the panelists uh, Ryan and Nicole and Chad were were coming out to do this panel with me for an hour and that means the world to me. Uh so I you know I wanted to take care of these guys. I I it was important to me that I do everything I could to compensate them for their time, for their knowledge and for their energy. So they get the three passes. I bought my weekend pass cuz I also knew I was going to want to be down there more than one day cuz I want to take the family down there. So anyway, Uh, I already had my pass ahead of time. We went down there Friday, and uh, Phantom Jr. was free because he's under 12. And then Mrs. Troublemaker just walked right up, bought her admission. Uh, we, We got there, I don't know if it was a lull or what, but later on there was a big line. Uh, for admissions well and and also the whole day friday was not particularly crazy saturday apparently was bonkers we were not down there saturday but i saw a lot of pictures and it looked like it was just wild uh and then sunday was relatively busy uh so anyway we were down there friday and i've got to say the variety of vendors and the variety of products that they had to sell were so impressive to me Uh, One of the first booths we stopped at had first of all, obviously there are billions of pops there. You, You can't go to a convention now without seeing tons and tons and tons of pops. And I don't have anything against pops we have a lot of them in the house because when there there there's certain characters that work really well in that format there's certain characters that you can't get in anything but that format so i don't have anything against pops but i don't understand why people bring them together well obviously they sell they sell they make money that's why people bring them to conventions but it annoys me to see them at conventions because i can go to kroger and cvs and walgreens and uh amazon and anywhere literally anywhere in the world you can buy pops so why not bring cooler better different stuff to a convention but it's because they make money obviously uh, but this convention had shit tons of pops and lots and lots of other stuff. So many vintage toys. So many interesting things that I just don't see at other conventions. Uh, the first purchase I made, somebody had tubs of Action Masters. I don't know if you remember Action Masters, but they're these die-cast painted figures. Uh, they're not articulated in any way. They're they're almost like two-ups of the old like Dungeons & Dragons miniatures. Uh, but they're painted. They, they, and they look neat. They look really cool. Well, they had tubs of them. Buy two, get one free. Uh, really cool stuff. I bought a bunch of those. Um, I, I, I spent a decent amount of money on Friday. But the big crazy thing that I got was the Mezco 112 Collective Ghostbusters set. Which I... Have no choice but to review it's just going to take me a minute to do it because it's four figures in slimer and it's a big set and it's going to take a lot of photography and I'm exhausted just thinking about reviewing that thing but we we all had a blast we hung out down there all day long uh just before uh, it was open until seven p m and I think we left very shortly before seven just had an awesome time uh You know, didn't even go to any panels or anything. Just wandered around uh, Building C of the Georgia World Congress Center and had a really good time. Uh, And then Sunday, uh, I got up and this is something I'm going to share with you guys. I'm not proud, obviously. Matter matter of fact, I'm I'm somewhat devastated, Uh, but I'm working on it. So I had this plan since we're doing the Summer of the Bat panel, which, by the way, if you somehow don't know, is about all of the marketing and merchandising surrounding the release of Tim Burton's 1989 Batman movie. Uh, the movie itself certainly deserves an episode in recognition, and uh, we may or may not get to that before the end of the year, because it's, I, I love that movie, I adore that movie, it's sacred to me, but it's, it's less interesting than the phenomenon surrounding it. So that's what the panel was about. But since the subject matter was the 1989 Batman movie, I had a sort of Joker-esque costume that I was going to wear. I I wasn't going to do my face up uh, because I don't do that. I'm actually growing a beard right now for a Dragon Con costume that I'm doing. Uh, So Joker with a beard, I I I know guys do that. They dye the beard green, they do the face white. I I my own personal opinion, that's not for me, because I don't want to look dumb. Uh, but I had uh, the purple pants. If if you're familiar with Phantom Troublemaker, the character that uh, features in the documentary Troublemaker by Jason C. Jason C. Wilson uh, from Duck's Paw Productions that will be premiering very, very soon, stay tuned for that. Uh, if you're familiar with Phantom Troublemaker, you know there was a long purple jacket uh, that Phantom Troublemaker wore as sort of the default costume well that jacket had matching pants and a matching vest that i rarely wore because i liked kind of the piecemealed almost time lordy look uh that i had as phantom troublemaker but i was going to wear the those purple pants that purple vest with an orange shirt that i have and a green tie uh no makeup or anything but just that to be joker-esque and uh so I got up Sunday morning I got up at 7:30 Sunday morning, uh, got dressed uh, took my sh- or not got dressed. I uh, took my shower, ate breakfast and went to put on the purple pants, which by the way, I haven't worn in maybe seven, six, six, seven years because I didn't wear them with that big coat. Uh, so I haven't put them on in that long, pulled them on got one button done they have a button and a clasp and another button I got one button buttoned I could not get anything else done and they were tremendously uncomfortable too just with that one button button. buttoned I was too fat for my pants and it was upsetting but not like horrible because like I said it had been so long since I had worn them I think I wore them for one monstrosity championship wrestling show And that might have been the last time I wore them, and that was seven years ago probably, six, seven years ago, like I said. Uh, So, you know, in that time, now granted, look, I'm not happy that I'm fatter than I was six or seven years ago, but also I'm getting old, I'm 43 years old, and there's a certain amount of fatness uh, that with the job I have... There's just not a whole lot I can do about So I, I felt really bad, and I was upset I wasn't going to be able to wear the thing I wanted to wear. But at the same time, it, it wasn't devastating. That came later. Uh, so it's, I'm, I'm already, my, my costume is not working out. So I'm already running later than I want to run. But I remember I have the purple pants that go with the sequin jacket I wore for the Dirty Dirty Con Con Game Game Show show two years ago. So I run downstairs, I grab those purple pants, bring them upstairs, put them on. Fortunately, they fit. Okay, cool. I don't really love these pants uh, when they're not part of the sequin jacket outfit, but they'll they'll do. They're fine. As a matter of fact, it might even be good to have different pants from the vest. Uh, so I, I, I get them on, I've got the orange shirt on, I button it up, I get to my neck, and I, the top button... I can get it buttoned, but it's extremely tight because my big fat neck is fatter than it was last year at Dragon Con when I wore that orange shirt. This is definitely not cool because uh, for the last, I guess it would be three weeks now, I've been eating very, very carefully. Uh, I have been trying to be very conscious of, of what i put in my body and what i'm doing and everything else I, like i i am in the dragon con weight loss corridor that i get into every year around this time uh, basically right after 4th of july I, st- I try to get really strict on myself and uh i knew i had overdone it at my and my parents a few weeks ago up in north carolina but it's been about two weeks of eating right and I didn't think I would be that fat and I was that fat and that was really hard to deal with so I but the show must go on I can't like you oh, I got to doing the panel because I'm so fat I, I'm not doing that I'm not that like look I'm miserable and I'm upset but I'm not I, I can't I'm not that guy uh so I, I put on some jeans i put on my phantom troublemaker work shirt uh embroidered very nice uh, but not suit not you know what i was gonna wear nice and i pack my shit up and get on the road and i'm running late i let everybody know i'm running a little bit late but that's okay because everybody else is running a little bit late too uh get down there a little bit after 10 o'clock and meet up with ryan and nicole and chad and we just wandered around had a good old time and then it was panel time, and we had, uh, the room was big. I don't know what the capacity was. I wish I'd looked so I could give you the number, but we're talking, like, first year Dirty Con game show big. Uh, not, not the last couple of years, but, but definitely bigger than the track room, but not the biggest ballroom we were in, I don't think. Uh, but anyway, big decent sized room so I, you know my thought was well we're, this is obviously we're not going to fill this up uh, i don't know how many people are going to show up but we got a we got a couple dozen people which is more than than i expected honestly because people are down there to go to a comic convention I don't know how many people were really there to attend panels, but not only did we get a couple dozen people in that big giant room, we retained them. I think maybe one or two uh, got up and left, but but I don't think it, it wasn't us because, look – i think everybody that was in that room when we started talking was there because they wanted to sit down and relax for a little while not because they were there for a panel but we got them we got react you'll hear it in just a few minutes here we got reactions we got interaction we got laughs uh we got people wanting to talk uh it was it was a really really good time i i am absolutely thrilled with how we presented the panel and with how the panel was received uh I really am very proud of all of us and the job that we did. And I certainly hope that I can go back and and do, you know, maybe a couple more panels for Atlanta comic-con next year, because I really dug it. It was a different experience and uh, there was a lot of different stuff there. It was well worth our time uh, to go and, and present there. And then afterwards we went out and they, you know, they had the celebrity guests and well there's Kevin Conroy out just sitting at his table so me and Chad went over and met Kevin Conroy and I turned into a complete dum-dum I haven't been that tongue-tied and awestruck since I met Bruce Campbell in 2001 Um, I just I, I, I told him he's awesome and that he's my Batman and that uh, I I've, I've said something about how the the show wouldn't have been. I don't know. I don't know what I said. It was stupid. But I I got a picture with him. I got him to sign an eight by ten, and I'm thrilled that I did. I almost didn't because I, I my whole plan had been to go down there and get Val Kilmer to sign a Batman Forever figure, but the uh, it, it just it didn't look like it was going to be the experience I wanted it to be, so I never bothered uh but I, I did with Kevin Conroy and it was it was well worth it. I'm thrilled. I've got this eight by ten. I've got this picture with him uh and it's it's excellent. And then me and Mr Ryan Cadaver went and had a conversation with one Marcus Buff Bagwell, who you may or may not know starred in two, count them, two Andy Sedaris movies. If you're not familiar with Andy Sedaris, you need to get on Amazon, order the four Andy Sedaris Blu-rays that are currently available, listen to our Hard Ticket to Hawaii needless commentary, and familiarize yourself with Andy Sedaris because my hope is is after the great conversation that Ryan and I had with Buff Bagwell, which, who, by the way, is a super guy. He was so friendly, so nice, so enthusiastic. Just one of those people that you're like, oh, it's Buff Bagwell. I know who that is. But then after you talk to him, you're a fan because he's that cool and that gracious and that much fun. Uh, I, I just I love talking to him. Uh, he let me wear his hat. I got a couple pictures with him. And I think there is a possibility there could be a Buff Bagwell interview in the future. We'll see how it goes. But he was he was thrilled to talk about Andy Sedaris, and I want to dig more stories out of that guy. So I hope I can make it happen. Uh, and, and then we wandered around some more, and that was it. So Atlanta Comic-Con, two thumbs up from the Needless Things crew. Had an absolute blast there. Can't wait for next year. And uh, now you guys... Get to listen to the summer of the bat, which I'm sorry if you did not experience it live. It was so much fun. Uh, we, you know, being a needless things panel, we had prizes, we had interaction, we had all kinds of fun stuff going on. But uh, you now, if you could not be there, can listen to it live. Well, not live, but can listen to it via the magic of podcast. And please tell your friends, share this. Go on iTunes, write a review, do whatever it is you're supposed to do when you love a podcast because I want to go to other conventions. I want to get that foot in the door. I want to have that recognition. Uh, I want to be able to bring the Needless Things regulars all over the place to put on great panels like the Summer of the Bat. So if you like this, tell your friends, share it, uh, review it, rate it, do whatever it is got to do. But uh, I'm very proud of us. I'm very proud of this panel. And uh, Atlanta Comic Con was great. I I can't wait for next year. So now it's time for the Mystery Men of Surf and a little bit of music, and then the Bat. How are you doing today? Uh, My name is Dave West. I'm the owner and operator of the Needless Things Podcast and needlessthingspodcast.com. If you need to remember that, we have business cards you can pick up at any point uh, or after the panel is done. And also, for anybody that wasn't here a minute ago, when the panel is over, we have Batman 1989 trading cards. Uh, Please feel free to come up and grab a pack uh, once we're done. Uh, We are going to talk today not about the movie itself, because everybody loves the 1989 Batman movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, what we're going to talk about is the phenomenon surrounding uh, the 1989 release of Tim Burton's Batman. We're going to talk about the marketing, the merchandising. As you can see, I've got, I've got this is literally like 0.01% of the stuff that came out back then. It it was insane. And we're going to talk about all that stuff today, Uh, but I couldn't yet. That's right. We've got the, uh, anybody recognize this? That is the special limited edition uh, canister version of Prince's soundtrack. Everybody loves Prince, right? Uh, and I've, I've got a little story about that but we'll get to it in a minute uh, I couldn't do this by myself though so I had to bring in a qualified panel of experts first to my left please introduce yourself let everybody know what you do
1: uh, I'm Nicole speak um,
0: into the mic if you need to or just yell
1: I'll just yell um, <laughs> hi everybody I'm Nicole uh, I am a uh, a member of the needless commentary team. Uh, like to talk about movies. Um, I have a podcast about movies as well. Go ahead
0: and put over your podcast. Okay.
1: So, I have a podcast about bad movies called "Caught Dead Watching," uh, where we talk mostly about bad horror movies, but occasionally about bad action movies as well. Um, only the best of the worst, uh, and sometimes the worst of the worst. Um,
0: Barn of the Blood Lama.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's, listen to Samurai our first. Samurai <laughs> cop. Our first episode is about a movie called Barn of the Blood Llama, which sort of gave birth to our podcast. Um, <laughs> it's the most remarkably, wonderfully terrible movie that has ever existed, and we go on to interview some people that were involved with it and stuff like that. It's it's, it's really wonderful. So check that out. Um,
0: and Nicole, like myself. You were around in 1989 and experienced the summer of the bat.:
1: I, unlike my extremely young husband sitting next to me, was around
0: <laughs> you were around though he was, I was he around exist. I was a- tell us tell us he now
1: exist, however
0: to, to my immediate left, uh, rock and roll personality,
2: Ryan cadaver. Hello, I'm rock and roll personality Ryan Cadaver. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm Bob. Yeah, no. No, um, Bob, introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, I'm Ryan Cadaver. I'm in a band called the Casket Creatures. We're a horror rock themed band. Uh, We wear makeup and act crazy and and have some fun music videos. So please check them out. Um, And uh, I'm also part of the Needless Commentary team. And uh, I've been a Batman fan my entire life. I called my dad the other day because I was two when this movie came out. So I was like... Two. <laughs> Little baby. Little baby. <laughs> so I was like, um, I know that I've always been infatuated with this movie. I know that I love this movie. I remember seeing it a bunch, but like, I, I know I wasn't at the theater. Uh, so my dad's like he's like I can't remember if I took you to the theater, but I know for Christmas you got the VHS tape and you just watched it nonstop over and over again. So that's why this movie is so ingrained in my brain because this is probably the first movie I ever saw.
0: Well, you grew up. You're you're of the generation that grew up with this just as almost kind of a mythology. Yes, and we'll we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But before, finally, to my right, ladies and gentlemen, he came all the way. This is this is legit, all the way from California just to be on this panel because he told me a year ago, Dave, if you do a Batman 1989 episode, I want to be on it. And I said, Chad, if you come out here from California, you can be live at Atlanta Comic Con. So ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Mr. Chad J. Shonk yeah. Hello.
3: I'm not worth
4: that at all. You are um, totally worth uh, that.
3: I'm Chad. I'm a screenwriter and a novelist. Um, I'm the needless things resident Star Wars expert. Absolutely. I would say. Yes. Um, and uh, that's about it. I'm, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can pitch. My, I can plug my book and my, book, my uh, movie later. And we'll do. But, yeah, we'll do
0: that. Uh, the, the man yeah. has written a movie, and it's uh, cool. I was.
3: I was not too when this movie came up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's all the rest of us are going to say, is we were not, not two. two. No, um, more than two. Um, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to, or I'll, I'll certainly get to my age, because it was a uh, delicate 13. We're like two uh, months apart. Right? Yeah, yeah, something like that.
1: Yeah,
0: I think I was 13 also. Yeah. yeah, we're the same age. I'm yeah, like, oh, we oh, all what? are, except for except your for child bride. bride. So you, you guys,
1: my
5: child bride.
0: <laughs> first of all, Yep. Obviously, everybody in this room has seen Tim Burton's 1989 Batman, correct? Uh, how many of you show of hands were actually like conscious at the time in 1989? Like, we're there for the t-shirts and the toys and the toilet paper and the paper towels and the posters. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is the insanity that surrounded that movie and how it set a new standard for what Hollywood understood these movies to be and the potential of what a blockbuster film could do. Now what I'm going to do here is uh, I have got somewhere around here I've got a couple little prizes. Were there a couple of plastic bags right here? Uh, If anybody out there, you guys, do you have a specific memory that you would like to share with the group about the summer of the bat, about being that age when Batman came out? We're going to go to you guys first. Anybody? Come on up, sir. Can everybody hear okay if we're not like direct? Oh, there you go. Perfect. Thank you very much.
4: <laughs> Professional. What is your name? I am Thomas Bonfield.
0: And where are you from? I am
4: from Decatur, Georgia. Nice. Excellent. A lifelong Batman fan.
0: And what is, uh, what? what's your memory of the summer of the bat?
4: So the, the movie was released on my birthday. It was my 19th birthday.
0: Get out. Oh, and that's fantastic.
4: I had just finished my first year of college and was still reading comics. I grew up playing with action figures and being Batman and climbing trees as Batman and there were friends that I knew that could come over and play that with me and then there were the friends that were like, oh yeah, let's go throw the football.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I know that existence yeah, very well.
4: And so um, I had had my action figures, they stayed with me forever, uh, and I remember seeing the commercial for it when it was coming out and I, it just it shook my world. It made my world, the world that I enjoyed living in all the time, it was like, it, it exists and it's there for a reason. Um, and so, you know, it was coming out on my birthday, so I got tickets and just the whole everything leading up to it the commercials and all the merchandise and everything. And suddenly, Batman, who was always there at the top, is everywhere in my world. And I'm like, now people know where I'm coming from and why this is so awesome. And then the movie came out and it was even better than I thought. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was, it was just it was amazing.
0: It was, there was a certain level of validation in the exactly. popularity of this movie.
4: Right. I mean, to, to take it from the you know the TV series, which was fun and everything, but back to Batman yeah. um, was just, yeah, it was everything.
0: Yeah, and it was inescapable. Awesome. Thank you. Hang on just a second. I have a... Uh... Oh, there they are. Okay. So, everybody knows we mentioned already the Prince soundtrack. Uh, what I have here is that soundtrack... But it is also a number of cuts that I'm referring to as Gemini's Lost Secrets. They're alternate cuts from the recording sessions that Prince did for the soundtrack, including a version of Bat Dance featuring Big Daddy Kane. <laughs>
5: yeah. Awesome. There you go. Yeah.
0: Now, I have one more of these. We're going to give this away at the end of the panel. We're going to come up with a different criteria for it. But uh, one more flash drive that has the soundtrack. It has uh, Prince's extra cuts of the soundtrack. And it has also got uh, some of the best Batman episodes from the Needless Things podcast. Because, of course, I've got to put my own stuff over as well. So, we're going to hang on to that. Everybody remember, one more copy of this to go at the end of the panel. I've often compared you to Prince. I appreciate that. You're the only one, but I appreciate that. Uh, So, uh, we already mentioned that... Batman, the phenomena, set a whole new standard in Hollywood for what a blockbuster was capable of. Because if you look back, there are other things in the 80s. You know, we had, Well, before the 80s, we had Star Wars, we had Jaws, we had Back to the Future. These movies all broke box office records. But the important thing to note is that they did it over a run of months or a year in theaters. Yep. Yeah. Batman, in a weekend, made $45 million dollars. And it, it changed everything in Hollywood. And part of the reason that it made that kind of money, like nothing had ever done before, is because of the marketing support that it received. Because Warner Brothers, for whatever reason, decided we're going to put everything into this movie. And there were T-shirts, there were toys, there were trading cards, there were magazines. It was on every. It was on every magazine cover. Uh, You could not escape. Once that first trailer hit in December of 1988, from then on, everything, not just pop culture, but mainstream media was about Batman. And even since then, even though Hollywood learned uh, an interesting lesson, which we'll discuss from this, just there's been nothing like that. Now, Chad... Yeah. Uh, you had said you had to be a part of any conversation about Batman 1989. Yep. So going back to 89, and, and you're actually, I believe, the one who coined the phrase Summer of the Bat. I've got to give you credit for okay. that. Okay. Uh, to I'll, to, I'll to me, it. anyway. I'll take it. Sure. Um, <laughs> what What was your enthusiasm here? Why were you so desperate? Like, you wanted to talk about this man. This movie is my origin story. Get into the mic a
3: little bit. Okay. Is that good better? Sorry. Uh, this movie is my origin story. Um, the summer of 89 actually starts in the fall of 88, um, when they announced that the movie was happening. until uh, that point, I only read what we'll call licensed comics. I sure. read um, Larry Hama's G.I. Joe. I read Star Wars, and I read some Transformers books. Um, but when they announced the movie, it was a big deal. Like you said, it was on the news and all these things. But something else happened that November, which was uh, they killed Robin. In uh, Batman, and the very first issue of Batman I ever bought was the second issue of uh, Batman: Death in the Family. Um, it was the very first non, uh, very first non-licensed, I guess, uh, comic I ever bought, and it turned me into a comic book reader. And then, yes, that Christmas is when they released the 92nd. We'll call it a trailer, but it's really not. it's no, a, no It's no. a sizzle reel. Uh, the the studio was real, or they had read that the fans really didn't like the idea of Michael Keaton as
0: Batman. And so the producers said, well, show them that it looks cool. Everybody be honest, show of hands, for those that were around in 89, when you first heard about Michael Keaton being cast as Batman, like, not cool, right? I wasn't thrilled. Yeah. I, right, Mr. Mom, exactly That was the reaction yeah. from everyone Mr. Yeah. Mom is Batman?
2: But he was also
0: Beetlejuice, which ruled yeah. but, but even but then, Beetlejuice was a, a Fat, slobby weirdo Like,
5: it just <laughs> It
0: didn't it didn't track at the time No,
3: so
5: where Tim Burton got the idea for uh, well, Absolutely, was, uh, after Tim his Burton,
3: performance Tim Burton was actually, yeah, was already working on the movie But they didn't green light the movie Until Beetlejuice came out and didn't flop And yeah. that's when they announced that Tim Burton can make the movie so that fall and winter is when I fell in love with Batman and fell in love with comics. And then, yes, in the in the spring, I was in junior high at the time uh, in Ohio, and the entire school was consumed. Um, we had an arms race to see who could own how many T-shirts. Uh, I had one for every day of the week and Sunday. Um, the and it wasn't just the thing was it wasn't just the nerdy kids. It was the football players and the cheerleaders and and and, and the, everyone in between we were clipping newspaper clippings out about it right we were we were collecting magazines everybody was obsessed with it my
0: grandmother would actually because they uh my grandmother lived in Wilmington North Carolina at the time uh where they were even then were filming a lot of movies Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was filmed there in 1990 uh and she she is the one who Fostered my love of movies, specifically horror movies, but just movies and cinema in general and she would clip out magazine articles about anything and mail them to me uh, here in Georgia about just anything that she saw because she she really more than anyone like Created my love of pop culture, but yeah, that's and, and it was everywhere every it magazine was, every newspaper. It was
5: in the
3: nightly news if you can imagine if if every night on the news They were talking about the next Harry Potter or they were talking about right. Star wars But instead it was people shaving bat symbols into their heads which and it's is something that legitimately happened a lot And this is at a time when the news didn't cover nerd stuff. Yeah, this wasn't entertainment tonight. This was the five o'clock news, right? But the other thing about this movie that's so important to me is it saved my love of movies. Because in uh, Memorial Day of 1989 was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Loved it. Great. Uh, A week later, I went and saw a little movie called No Holds Barred,
0: which is a vile piece of trash. Which, by the way. We, you can find our needless commentary on No Holds Barred on NeedlessThingsPodcast.com.
3: Listen to the commentary, but it is a vile, offensive film Sorry. that I, even as a 12-year-old I was disgusted by. Sure. Uh, and it was the moment I learned that movies could be real bad.
5: <laughs>
3: but then the, then, the next, then the next weekend was my birthday, uh, 10 days shy of yours. And so we'd already seen Anina Jones. So, hey, we like the one with the whales. Let's go see Star Trek V. Oh. oh, no. Also, a disaster no. of a motion picture. Oh. So if Batman had been bad, if it had been a disappointment... You'd
0: be a different human now. Be a very
3: different human being. You'd be like I, an
0: accountant. No,
3: not that there's anything wrong with that. You didn't, my math scores were not... But it, it just helped define who I was with the, the combination of getting into comics at the same time, getting the pop culture at the same time, buying these toys, I kept a Vicki Vale trading card in my wallet for at least two years. Um, I was adolescent. And um, it was, and also I think what's important is I think that this movie is the one that told our generation at least that it was okay to like this stuff past the age of 10. That it, 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 it kind of told, and I'll use the term Generation X, sure. it kind of told us that it's okay to like this stuff, that this stuff isn't just for kids. And so it made a very strong impression on me. And again, it, it is where is my ground zero for my fandom, as we call it. Um, you know that's evolved over the years and changed, and my attitudes have changed. But at that moment, it was the biggest thing that ever happened to me, and it uh, and it wasn't just me; it was communal. But yeah, I I don't think I would be a filmmaker today. I mean, I honestly believe that if if I had not had this movie, because that
0: summer was rough. There were a lot of great movies, but I saw the real bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Nicole, what about you? You you were of age. You remember it. That it, I mean, it was that thirteen years old is a, a very formative time. Yeah. And this came along, and just everybody was swept up into it.
1: Yeah, I have you know kind of a different uh, idea of it because I didn't really read the comics um, when I was a kid. I know. I mean, like. Uh, girls didn't really read comics. Um, and I was always like a real weirdo, um, like from birth on. Um, so, but you know, I, I never really had a lot of direction for my, my weirdness. Um, and I loved Batman from watching reruns of the old Adam West show, but this is what Really made me fall in love with Batman um, so whereas you guys had this relationship with Batman going into the movie like this movie is what made me fall in like absolutely love Batman and I didn't have you know I was like oh it's really cool it's this fun show and it's silly and it's 60s and whatever um, and then
2: when but this movie was serious yeah, this, right
1: this movie was just mm. incredible so <laughs> at the time it was yeah, no, it was amazing at the amazing. time, and, yeah, at the you time. Know,
5: yeah.
1: like you said there there had never really at least in my memory been a movie that just kind of took the world like this um just Before it came out. I mean, obviously, you know, we had Star Wars and Jaws and things like that, where it came out and then became a phenomenon. Well,
0: that's... Yeah, and that's exactly what it was, is, is... This one, Warner, Warner Brothers made like
5: saw
0: a, it. yeah, it was like a preemptive strike. Like, oh, we're going to make this big. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody just walked by the door in a Batman shirt. Get back in here.
3: <laughs> but no, you're right. A movie like Titanic or Avatar or something like that, they become a huge deal after release. Yeah, mm-hmm. This was a movie that was a success this is before first it came movie out.
1: that I remember being like, I cannot wait. Yeah for it. This is the first movie that I remember like being like just anticipating like I can't wait to see it because it was everywhere. It was in your face every second of the day. So um, I had the reverse thing where, like, I was cool with Batman. I was like, yeah, Batman's cool. And then this movie happened, and I was like, oh, my God, Batman is the greatest thing ever. Because <laughs> I didn't – I just didn't have, like, all the years and years of comics beforehand. Um,
0: but so. nobody had a choice. It was like you were going to at least be aware of Batman, yes. but if you had any proclivity towards like dorkery at all, it was going to consume you. Yeah. it was like it was like Coca
1: Cola for yeah. me. Yeah, you know because it's a it's you know Burton Batman. Um, it It really appealed to like my weirdo dark side like I didn't know what goth was um, because I I grew up in Connecticut um, (laughs) in the late 80s and like I know that goth was a thing but I don't remember ever hearing that term until like maybe like late in high school Um, but you know this movie was really like it was so dark and weird and black and I was just like oh this is. It was just. It appealed to every part of my sensibilities. That's a good it point made too. Me such a, it made me like a Burton fan, um, and you know, at that time, I wasn't like connecting movies that directors had made. I wasn't no, like, oh, no, hey, this no. Guy I was this movie and this guy made that movie. You know, so like, this is really where I became aware of like, oh, I love this is like Tim Burton. Who's that? I well, love this guy.
0: And that's Beetlejuice and Batman were the one-two punch. Yeah. Of. Now you know his name. Yeah. yeah. I All right. had
1: never been aware of directors before.
0: It's it's now trivia time. So what we have here, uh who would like to win a prize?
1: Nobody wants to win prizes.
0: Okay. Down. I saw your hand first. Are you ready to answer a trivia question? All right, Bob, trivia.
2: Which toy company produced the action figure line that included the legendary Bob the Goon action figure? Huh? No, it's toy.
0: That was a good guess, but wait, we're going to give somebody else the opportunity to answer. We're going to give somebody the opportunity to steal. So, uh, read the question one more time. Which action figure
2: company made the legendary Bob the Goon action figure?
0: Nope. No? Young man in the green? Toy Biz? Come on up. Excellent job, sir.
2: That was the figure
3: well that was always on the shelves. <laughs> yeah, you said legendary. I was like, legendarily unsold.
2: <laughs> yeah. I had one. I had oh, so Andy Batman with the little weird clip With the uh, grappling hook yeah, belt that, that made no, no sense. and would just on stuff and be like, and the, the line was like that long? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um,
3: so, but, kind of the Star Wars model where it's like, hey, that guy's in the movie. Let's make a toy out of him. Yeah, well,
0: I, I wish, though. Actually, true, they, they, they only have could done so, Yeah, they could have done so much more. But Toy Biz was a fledgling company at the time. This was their first major line. License, and this movie made Toy Biz, who later went on to produce um, the Marvel Legends line, which continues to this day. Granted, it's under Hasbro now, but in a way, the success of the 1989 Batman film has led to the Marvel Legends toy line, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about. So uh, the
3: toys real fast. I just want to yeah.
0: mention, you talked about how the Warner Brothers marketing
3: blitz. Mm-hmm. One of the main reasons for that is their marketing team told them the movie was going to flop. They flat out told them the Incredible Hulk was more recognizable. Spider-Man was more recognizable. Uh, obviously, Superman was more recognizable. Yet At the time, yes. they the, All the market research said this movie is going to bomb. And so they decided, but they said, in the, I read the part of the report, and it said, however, there's a large merchandising opportunity here. And so it was a concerted effort to try to... Bomb us. Well, Lucky and that explains why, if hey, you watch.
0: remember, so much of the merchandising wasn't even necessarily images from the movie. No. Like, at the time, there was a lot of the blue and gray Batman, a lot of the classic images of Batman Joker. Very few pieces of Joker merchandise looked like Jack Nicholson all everything, everything was like this sort of standard issue Joker from the comics. In the Prince video, he's dressed like Caesar Romero. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, yeah. and and that was and so it's it's telling that that was the case is that they weren't even necessarily banking on the movie that they knew the legacy of Batman in the comics and from the TV show, and that was another conversation was that everybody knew it from the TV show.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, I was just going to say, do you- do you think any? you think any of that had anything to do with Nicholson being like, "I don't want my face on all these toys and all that stuff"? Oh, he
3: did want his face on. Oh, he wanted his, his face on everything. He made
2: sixty million dollars. Oh, his. but he wanted to get paid a lot.
0: Jack Jack Nicholson. Uh, th- this is common knowledge. You guys may or may not know it, but it's an interesting fact. Uh, Jack Nicholson. Normally, uh, he had a certain fee that it's he four or $4. six. He took six million dollars. And a percentage of total earnings, including merchandise sales, rather, normally Jack Nicholson made $4 million for being in a movie. At the, in 1989, that was his rate. Uh, instead, he took a percentage of the merchandising sales. He's made over $50 million over the years because of that decision. 60 to 80 are the numbers I've seen. And, and it's like his favorite movie he's ever made for, for a reason.
5: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not yeah.
0: Because yeah, of absolutely. Movie. Uh, but, but oddly enough, uh, v- very little of the merchandise has actually featured his likeness. And I think the likeness is a whole different issue from his share uh, yeah, I, I, of the merchandise. Yeah, I think that's the reason why, is they didn't want to give him... They even want to more, pay him for
3: everything. right? Yeah, yeah. it's, it's the, I think the second highest single payout for an actor that I can think of. It's I
2: mean it, it's yeah. in good for him. Yeah. Even as a kid, I thought it was weird though because like the Joker patch on the goons, you know, outfits like is not Nicholson. Well, even within the movie. In the
0: movie yeah.
1: It's
2: yeah. not Nicholson. It's really odd. Yeah, yeah.
0: This it's much this more is reminiscent
1: of the comics. Then. This is
0: movie accurate. Yeah, uh, and all if, if you guys remember, all of the images were this Joker. Uh, it's mm. very. Yeah. But it, but it's great. It's well, awesome. I it think that's also probably a pre-production thing, right? They, yeah, they were already
3: designing the film before they cast it.
0: Well, and if you look at uh, Tim Burton, I think we've got a card up here. Yeah, Tim Burton's uh, sketches of the concept sketches, if you look, this is one of the best things you can possibly get right here. Uh, you can go on eBay and get this for 10 bucks or less, shipped. And this was my Bible uh, in 1989. This gave you... All Star of Log. the, oh, yeah, Starlog, absolutely. I had that one as well. Yeah. This was all behind-the-scenes stuff. It talked about how they made the Batsuit. I, I, I learned what Gabardine was because <laughs> that's what the cape was made of. Uh, it talks about the Batmobile, everything. All the production stuff is in this magazine. And it's just amazing the blitz that happened because of Warner Brothers and because of them just making this a pop culture relevant thing in a way that nothing had been uh, before. Well, they also desperately
3: wanted us to think it was going to be cool. Yes, because with Michael Keaton's casting, everyone thought, "Oh, they're just going to do the campy '60s version again." Right. And so everything was designed to make us say, "This is an adult version of Batman." This is going to—that's what that teaser was about. It's just. 90 seconds of random shots from the movie with no narrative, no voiceover, very little
0: music. It was well, real awkward, but it was like, doesn't this look cool, guys? Doesn't it look cool? And even the movie poster it was just the bat symbol. Well, see, I think that's An brilliant. airbrushed yeah. bat symbol. It was brilliant, yeah. but it, it gave you nothing. And I remember at the time, uh, you know, the the movie poster is the traditional oval bat symbol, like this gentleman's T-shirt right here. And then in the movie, though... The bat symbol on the suit is this weird little, like, it's got extra bits on it. It's it's a strange... And that always bothered me when I was a kid. Did you guys care about that at all? I did. Because
2: even the intro is the traditional Batman. Right, right. It's really odd. That always kind of bothered me. Well,
0: and even even the... uh, If you remember in the movie, the Batmobile has these little stickers on the side. Or not... Uh, but yeah, all the, all the marketing and everything was a traditional bat symbol. It's, it's very rare to actually see the one that was on his chest uh, in the movie. Yeah. So Ryan, you were two years old yes. when the movie came out. Yes. But, but that's interesting to me because it means you grew up with this mythology. You grew up with this as the phenomenon yeah,
4: before. Right.
1: Yeah, uh, Batman 89. Well, as 90%. a
2: classic. It was already a classic. Yeah. Too. I I mean, it's I literally don't remember this not existing in my life. Like it was always a major part of my life. My dad was always like, "Batman's cool. Superman sucks." Like, "But you you like Batman cuz he's cool." So like, he kind of forced Batman upon me. So it's like never been Like, not in my life. And this is, like, when I think of Batman, I mean, I think of the Keaton Batman. That's always my go-to. I mean, that's before comics, before anything, before Adam West. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I grew up with it, and I had all the figures. Like, my dad bought me all the figures and all that stuff. Even Bob the Goon.
1: Yeah, I actually, that brings up a really good point.
2: Especially Bob the Goon. Especially with (laughs) Um, karate chop action.
1: In this room, like, so...
0: Wait, Nicole, before you make your point, it's time for more trivia (laughs) you have a trivia question in front of you who else would like to win a joker gift bag all right ask the question
1: name three magazines that featured batman 89 on the cover and we We, have talked about it we we spotted you too yeah yeah
0: No pressure. pressure. Uh,
5: the, um, Real popular uh, Yeah. I know. Oh, they had uh, Mad, Mad, Mad
0: magazine. Mad magazine. We'll take it. Well done, sir. Visual guide star log and Mad magazine. Congratulations. You are the winner of a Joker prize pack. Was was he ever on the cover of Time? All those are filled with gas, by the way. uh, He wasn't on Time, which actually shocked me, but he was on Rolling Rolling Stone. Stone, All right, so, Nicole, Uh, please
5: continue.
1: I I was just going to say, like, everybody has uh, their Batman, and I think depending on how old you are and when you encounter Batman for the first time um, might determine who your Batman is. But, I mean, how many people in here, like, Keaton is your Batman. Yeah, you know when you think about Batman, in especially in in film or in TV or whatever. I mean, it, it's Keaton. I'll
0: God. tell you, there's a man out there in the convention hall that Keaton is not his Batman. <laughs> my my Batman's at this convention. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Actually, there are two guys,
3: <laughs> but yeah. right. Oh, yeah, no, no, not, not that one. No, I, that's not, I, new. I, wasn't, yeah. I wasn't talking this, about this Doc.
0: This one. This
1: one.
3: Yeah. He is not your Huckleberry. No, he's not my
0: Huckleberry. <laughs> he's I my mean, Huckleberry, I love that movie. Well, yeah. Yeah.
1: He's a
0: so nice guy. Uh, so, $750 million in merchandise sales. That's insane, but that's a number that, that you know, to, to each of us in this room, that's incomprehensible. Imagine there were 750 million people in this room, and each of us had a dollar. That's how much that is. It's actually
3: 1.5 billion today. Is it with inflation? Yeah, it's about double. I mean, all these numbers, all these numbers, <laughs> all these numbers we talk about at the box office double them or more for it. I mean, with with inflation. So well, yeah, it's it's ab-
0: it's ab- absurd.
1: It's unimaginable, absurd. Yeah, honestly.
0: It's yeah. So you mentioned uh, everybody in school had a Batman shirt. Everybody. Here's my little story about my Batman shirt. Uh, I I had like you, I had a Batman shirt for every day of the week. Uh, comic book ones. I, I wanted movie stuff, but again, prior to the movie coming out, it wasn't really a thing. Uh, but they also, it wasn't just T-shirts. There were hats. There were Chuck Taylor shoes. That oh, I wish I well if I still had them, I wouldn't be able to wear them. Uh, but Chuck Taylor's black. Chuck Taylors with the bat symbol all over them. And I thought, going to school, wearing my Batman Chuck Taylors, my white shirt with the Batman symbol on it, and my Batman hat that you couldn't wear during class hours, but you could wear on the bus and into school. And then once class is over, you can wear between classes. I thought that I was going to be the coolest person in the school. And I was... Notified before the end of first period that I was not the coolest person in the school. It was a bad day, and from there on, I toned down my Batman apparel to only one item at a time. But, uh, but I tell you what, if if I could have, I would have worn all that stuff to this panel today. I was I was I was a football player, not a good one,
3: <laughs> but I was on the football team. Those were the guys I hung out with, and they all had Batman t-shirts too. Like I said, it was it was everywhere. Well, so I in no I was, my school got picked on for wearing Batman. I was here in Georgia, and things were a little different. <laughs> I was in nowhere Ohio, so not that different. So.
0: Uh, So it, it was inescapable. Before we get too much further, though, we do have to talk about this, about Prince, about his contributions, about how he got involved. And I, I actually didn't even know this until recently. I started looking into uh, everything surrounding the movie because I wanted to be a little prepared for this thing. Uh, you know, I had always kind of assumed that Prince was, he worked in Warner Brothers Records at the time. Yes. I always kind of thought he was contracted talent, and they were like, synergy, because Hollywood and corporations love that synergy word, and I always sort of made the assumption that they thought, okay, we have Prince, who's one of the best-known artists in the world, and we've got this movie that we want to be a success, let's just put them together. What I didn't know was that Prince was very passionate about this movie and about this soundtrack and that he actually took time off from the Love Sexy tour to visit Tim Burton on the set of the movie. He saw a rough cut of the movie and became so obsessed with it That he almost canceled the rest of the Love, Sexy tour to make sure he could record the music for Batman. So, like, this wasn't just a corporate synergy thing. Prince was passionate about this project and really involved in what was going on. I mean, he wanted to be in it. I mean,
3: almost like I mean, he created his own Batman villain.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you watch the Bat Dance uh, video, you see it's a
3: trip. Oh, it's
0: fantastic. Well, Bat Dance and Party Man both. Phenomenal videos, Party Man, uh, where Prince murders dozens of people. It's really fun, uh, much like Batman does. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you have Prince in the half Joker, half Batman uh, costume as a character called Gemini, because Prince is a Gemini. Um this song is so insane. Oh, it's... it's, it's it, well, the they, whole... Really, the whole, the whole soundtrack is crazy. What I love about Bad Dance
3: is it reads like the cliff notes if you are too lazy to listen to the rest of the record. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just got samples from the other songs and clips from the movie, and it, it's like five different songs in one. It changes tone. It's I crazy. remember
1: just you know, watching MTV and it being on like... It, oh, it yeah. Constantly. Like it was Constantly. It on every five minutes. And every time it was on, I would just be like, oh, yeah, it was the, it was the greatest thing. It was the most ridiculous, wonderful ridiculous. video I've ever seen. I loved it.
0: So does anybody in here have any specific recollection of, of MTV, of Bat Dance, of, of Prince at the time that they'd want to share with the room? I saw you first. Well, I mean, I just remember here, come on up here. Let's For, for this one, if you're going to earn well, Gemini's yeah. Lost Secrets.
5: Well, I just remember from when it first came out and I saw... You know, you were talking earlier about how you didn't know about the symbol, how you didn't like it. My version on that was when I saw Beetlejuice, I knew Tim Burton and all of that. I kinda followed the records. I figured that was Tim Burton's signature on Batman. That's what I was that's what I took it as. And um what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> just
0: some, something about oh. Prince at the time, about the videos, about the soundtrack, well, anything Prince related.
5: Well just well just
0: And what's your name and where are you
5: from? Oh I'm sorry, I'm Brian Crow, I'm from La- Lashland from Bradleton. Okay. Forty five minutes north.
4: Which candidate isn't there? Because she owned
0: right? <laughs> uh, Yes,
5: exactly. Yeah. And um, but you know why she lost it, right? She lost it because she made a Word-of-mouth Dill, I forget the production company, but she was making a bo- uh, movie called Boxing Helena. Oh, that. yes. Oh, yeah. Which
0: will be a whole other panel, I believe me. So I do have you have anything that. specifically mm-hmm. Prince-related?
5: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, up. yeah. So anyways, I was uh, I was just recording everything, and when that bat dance came on and the Party Man and all that, I would record it, and I would just sit there and watch it over and over. Like, I had to do movie previews. I mean, any time a movie, I'm really... But Batman was, like, the first. Well, I remember being, you know, just uh, the Prince, like, his hearing. They gave a little snippet of ba- um, uh, the Prince music in the second uh, trailer. And that sold me, you know, right there. It's like, you just heard that little bit Prince. You knew it was going to be great. Now,
0: did you do like I did and have VHS tapes that yes. were just full of movie yeah. trailers, the cool movies commercials, movies. music videos, yeah. everything? Oh, yeah. Good stuff.
5: Yeah. Back, uh, e- uh, Entertainment Tonight. Yeah. 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 anything that had anything to a Batman I was I would just said it just know they were have something on it
0: awesome <laughs> thanks a lot man okay. enjoy All
1: right. yeah I would record you know I would have a little uh, tape recorder and I would put it next to the TV while watching MTV <laughs> oh and yeah yeah would record the and I guess I had a VCR but I don't know I just didn't have like I don't I don't remember if I had recorded the actual video or not but I would record the audio from MTV and listen to it over and over and over again just like
0: Well, I would do that sometimes MTV. because very often the mixes that MTV played were different yes. from what was on the album. And
1: you could get stuff off MTV without the DJ talking over right. the beginning of the song, which they yeah. always did Yeah. If you recorded stuff off the radio, you would get like the DJ would be like and this is what and you'd get that ridiculous, you know, the song would be ruined. But you could record stuff off of MTV Without the DJ talking over it.
3: Uh, Kids MTV uh, was.
1: A <laughs> yeah, the M used to mean music.
5: That
1: played
0: music
5: videos. Music <laughs> and it
0: informed most of our childhood. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, a huge portion of, of our taste was was created
2: MTV by MTV. Was
1: everything. Yeah. The, I'm I'm actually
3: surprised for you to say that Prince saw a rough cut of it though, because the bat dance video makes me think he never saw the movie. <laughs> Prince
1: was a wonderful weirdo though. He yeah, was just, a huge dork. I mean, he was the coolest dork that's ever existed, but he was a weirdo. He was one of us. <laughs> the only he thing I had accepted. to add
2: about Prince is uh, I had never seen the music video. Like, I saw the movie many times. I knew Prince did the music. Uh, and I was working a blockbuster video, and they had the little video loops that they would change out every month. And Batman's was on there and I was like, what is this? <laughs> like years later, and I was imagine like, coming into year later. I was like, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen. But it was fantastic. This was also the first film score
3: I ever bought. The Danny Elfman score. Oh, yeah. Elfman made, they had a legitimate incredible. two soundtracks Yeah. That they released, which is the first time I remember anybody doing that. And so I had, you know, I had to convince my mom why I was buying the Batman soundtrack again. <laughs> yeah, I swing explain the difference, but it was the very first film score. I, I think even over Star Wars, the first film score that I owned and listened
0: to. Uh, it was definitely the first film score that I owned because uh, I had asked my mom just while I was school, while she was out running around, to get me the Batman soundtrack. And she came home with something with a different cover. If you remember, uh, the Danny Elfman score has the moon with the bat wing sort of, uh, in front of it. And when she handed it to me, I was like, I don't think this is it. I don't know who Danny Elfman is, but uh, okay, and I put it in. And initially, I was hugely disappointed because all of my friends had the Prince soundtrack. I remember going on a Boy Scout trip, and uh, one of the other scouts, this guy named Campbell, was the first one I knew to have Prince's Batman soundtrack, and we actually took turns with the tape passing it around over the course of the trip listening to it. I had my yellow Sony Sport Walkman yeah. that played cassette tapes. Uh, and we would we would pass <laughs> that thing around and listen to this. And I wanted my own copy, obviously. And I, asked, I had asked my mom, please, please get it for me. And she brought the score home. And like I said, initially, not what I wanted. I grew to love it, though, because it's all I had to listen to. found out years later that, shockingly, my Southern Baptist parents were not huge Prince fans, and that she had intentionally purchased the wrong thing because she didn't want me to have the Prince album. This this was followed up uh, later on by finding uh, this at a local record store that same year, uh, and really wanting it, because it's this cool, circular, collectible, limited edition 10, like, how awesome is this? And uh, I was like, "Oh, that's that's the soundtrack. That's actually the thing that I wanted. Can I get that? Because it's a cool circle thing, and not just a CD." And my dad was like, "No, I'm not. I'm, no, 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 wandered <laughs> off, did his dad thing." Yeah, which, which, being a father now, I've gotten quite adept at that myself. Uh, and that, but years and years later, found out like, well, we really didn't. We'd seen the the videos and didn't. He, he wore heels, right? He wore heels and and, and he maybe the. Yeah, not so much. So, yeah, that was that was my experience at the time with the Prince soundtrack. The uh, Batman March is real fun for driving around. Isn't it? It's all real fun for yeah. driving around. Okay, this is our last. We've got one more trivia question. One final Joker prize pack. You you get the corniest one of the bunch, but it's the easiest one too. I think. All right, who who wants to answer this super duper easy final trivia question and win a Joker prize pack? I saw your hand first, sir. Please, Chad, read the question. This one requires an impression. Oh, it does. Do it. it does! It I does! It does! Do it. You can do it. it.
3: it. No, I cannot do it. Where is the Batman?
5: <laughs>
3: uh, oh and no! Where is the Batman? Where is
0: the Batman? And oh, I'm sorry. Who wants to jump in and steal? I, I saw your hand first. No, oh, no, that's so not what we're specific, looking for right here. I'm everywhere. No, oh, no, in the back. Here. No, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, it's okay, from the everybody's movie. seen the movie, right? right. This is
2: no, oh.
5: No.
1: And where
2: is it's the Batman?
5: Batman. When, when Joker was doing his
2: interview. And but
0: don't <laughs> give it away. You've already won yeah. one. Okay. You can't. We can't give you a second one. Okay, well, I just want. Something. But it is. It's. It's. Uh, and where is the Batman? There you go. Oh. You got it. Yeah. But we can't give a second. We'll we'll have one more trivia question before we let everybody out of here. We'll we'll try that one again. I thought that was a gimme. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, so they didn't watch it yesterday. Probably. Well, that's true. All of us watched it yesterday, yeah. so we've, our knowledge is a little fresher. Uh, let's go, Nicole. Do you have a favorite? piece of merchandise that you had or have seen in that time is there anything that stands out to you as particularly remarkable from the summer of the Bat or from just the merchandising phenomenon which continues to this day
1: um the batmobile like the the uh 89 batmobile is so... <laughs> this
0: this nice convertible model yeah right here with the ratcheting. It is Everybody hear that? Remember that?
1: Yeah. That movie authentic sound? The least practical but most visually glorious uh, vehicle ever to exist. It
3: was so slow. It needs a grappling hook to yes. turn left. <laughs> it was so slow. You watch the movie it's the slowest car chases ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's so slow.
1: It, it's I mean I don't, there's just so much like and I'm, I'm saying the Batmobile because I'm looking at it but like
2: shields so yeah. <laughs> that works weird stop motion shields
1: um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's just it, the Batmobile was it was it was the best Batmobile it really was
0: and it's been it represented in so many different ways now actually yeah. there's there's a current product uh, from a company called Jada toys they do two different things they've got a die cast uh, version that you can get at like Target comes a little miniature Batman figure that doesn't sit in it for some reason, but it's it's a great model. And then there's a remote control 1989 Batmobile, also from Jada Toys, 25 bucks. Uh, doesn't use batteries; you plug it into your USB drive, drive it around, goes super fast. It's great. I recommend that for anybody here who'd like a cool Probably Batmobile. Probably goes faster
1: around. than the Batmobile in the movie.
0: I'm sure it does. There's no doubt, and you don't need a grappling hook. Yeah,
1: yeah, you can turn left. Without killing fifty people.
0: Well, well, if you're 1989 Batman, you're going to kill kill fifty people anyway. Uh, Ryan, do you have a a particular piece of merchandise you love? Uh,
2: Yeah, the Bob the Goon action figure. (laughs) (laughs) Legendary,
4: yeah.
3: Yeah. I'm really bad with dates, and so I date my life by things that come out. Like my, bear with me. Um, When uh, uh, my grandfather died, my Dad took me after the wait to see Return of the Jedi, so I know my grandfather died in 1983. Right, right. Um, my wife's birthday is the day after Star Wars came out, so I'll never forget her <laughs> birthday. Um, I had a puzzle that you put together and it made a 27 by 40 poster, one sheet poster, but Whoa, it's a puzzle.
0: That's a lot of puzzle.
3: Yeah, it was a big puzzle and it made a full-size movie poster. And so the number 62389 the release date are just hammered into my head because I had it and we did the thing where we made the puzzle and we mounted it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So turned it into a poster. But um, the... So it's it's that puzzle, but it's specifically just those numbers. I'll never forget what day the movie came out ever.
0: Ever. Ladies and gentlemen... Thank you so much for coming out and listening to us talk about the summer of the bat. Please visit NeedlessThingsPodcast.com. Before we go, I want to run down the line so everybody can let you know who they are, where you can find them online. Uh, and, again, once we wrap things up, everybody feel free to walk up front, grab a business card, and grab a pack of trading cards for yourselves. Uh, Chad, what are you up to? Where can we find you online? I quit Twitter because I value my mental
3: health, Um, so you can find me at chadjshonk.com for updates, or the same thing on Instagram. Uh, You can find my novel Proxy on uh, Amazon uh, and Kindle and paperback. It's a science fiction noir. And a movie I wrote a little while back called Dakota Sky, uh, you can see on Amazon Prime streaming and uh, other things to be determined. Nicole, what are you up
0: to, where can we find you?
1: You'd find me on uh, Instagram at BattleCougar. <laughs> <laughs> um, I run a podcast called Cotted Watching, so you can find me on CoffeeWatching.com uh, or just wherever you get podcasts. Um, we've been in an off season, but we're getting ready to come back. Uh, I am also part of the Needless Commentary team, um, and I make candles. Uh, ThemeParkAlchemy.com. If you want to buy my amazing, uh, th- our, it, it.
0: stranger waffles, <laughs> um, we just
1: recently made a stranger things inspired candle that is uh, waffle scented and it is glorious. Uh, if I do say so myself. Um, so we've got a Haunted Mansion inspired, we've got, uh, what else do we have? We have a whole bunch, and they smell really good. So, ThemeParkAlchemy.com, um, or ThemeParkAlchemy on Instagram, um, and I am Battle Cougar. Um, your turn.
2: I'm Ryan Cadaver, uh, you can look at my band, The Casket Creatures, if you like fun, horror, movie-inspired music, um, and, uh, currently working on a movie that, like, these guys are in. Chad, I'm sorry. You weren't you weren't I would have put you in it It's all you good. Didn't. you probably don't want to be in it. It's called Joe Stryker. Yeah. And uh, it's Woo. an action movie and uh, lead actress is right here in the front. So okay. yeah. So yeah, uh, check that out. Joe Stryker movie, you can find it on Facebook. Uh, we'll have it for pre-order pretty soon, the Blu-ray DVD, and all that stuff. So yeah,
0: thank you guys so much for coming out and listening to the Needless Things Podcast live. Atlanta Comic-Con has been wonderful, thank you guys. that panel was such an absolute blast uh it really it really primed me for dragon con i am taking it a little easier at dragon con this year than i normally do but i still have stuff going on i have a big announcement that i can't make quite yet because you know you know how that dragon con schedule works Uh, until they start announcing things you can't announce things you know what i mean uh so i've got a big announcement coming very very soon about dragon con certainly before the end of july i think uh, i will have my write-up of the dragon con progress report up on needless things podcast.com uh, the last week of the month which is when i always put it up and i've got to give dragon con props because they got that progress report out early this year it came out a little over a week ago which is fantastic and i almost wonder if atlanta comic-con had something to do with that like they were aware of atlanta comic-con happening and wanted to try and scoop up a little bit of that heat i don't know uh, but there's still i am still doing panels at, at at uh dragon con i've got exciting stuff happening but i am taking it i mean there's no game show this year so i'm taking it a little bit easier than i normally take it I have plans for what I'm going to do with my downtime. As I mentioned in the intro, I have a cost like an actual costume, not just like a Luchador mask and a suit. I have a costume this year for the first time in, I think, ten years, because I made my Mandalorian costume in 2008. And wore it in 2009, maybe? So a, a decade. It's been a decade since I've had a full-on... Well, no, last year I wore the Phantom Troublemaker uh, costume from the Casket Creatures um, Phantom Zone video. So that was a real costume. And I'll probably wear that again this year. But anyway, I love you guys.
4: Thank you for listening to the Needless
1: Things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vix employee. Love you, mean it, uh uh-huh.